We speak with Ron Steary to find out the latest on the gun charges he faced in the Northern Territory. I'm Neil Jenkins, and you can contact us at podcast at politicsreloaded.com. Welcome to the Politics Related Podcast. It's a podcast for struggle shooters who just want a political interference taken out of shooting. Okay, so Ron Sterry is a shooter I've interviewed before when I was at the National Shooting Council. He's someone who many shooters supported through donations after hearing how the Northern Territory Government tried to make a criminal out of him for simply helping a neighbour at time of need. If you haven't heard the story, then it's definitely worth listening to because it's about being a good Samaritan, losing your gun licence for being a good Samaritan, using your appeal rights and a chief judge who agrees with us that when it comes to gun laws, the Northern Territory political system seems to have its priorities the wrong way around. So here's what happened. One night in April 2021, Ron was at home when he heard a commotion outside his house. A neighbour had been stabbed, it was dark, and his assailant was still on the loose in a city known as the stabbing capital of the world. Now, Ron, can you just take me through, actually, what happened? Was it, what did you, what were you doing? What did you hear that, that got your attention? Um, well, I was basically about to have a nap, to be honest. I was kind of tired. <laughs> After a long, hard day of work. But, um, yeah, I heard this sudden guttural screaming, and it's... Uh, it's quite a terrible thing to hear because it's not just, it's not like a Hollywood scream, like a horror, horror film. It's uh, yeah, you can really f- hear the fear in it, the voice, but um, I heard them striking the lady and screams and I uh, went out there to see what happened and she'd been stabbed. So I wanted to go out there and assist her. So we grabbed the first aid kit Um didn't feel safe because I was told the assailant was still around. So we grabbed the rifle and we took that out with us. And, um, yeah, managed to stop the bleeding. And uh, I've heard she's doing well. Okay. Um, yeah. So you grabbed the rifle, obviously, for your own safety. Um, now, this is not an argument of people arming themselves for self-defense. This is simply the circumstances at the time and you needed to take something with you um, because Alice Springs, as I said, is known as the stepping capital of the world, but basic internet search shows, in fact, that it's it can be quite a very dangerous place at night. There's a good reason for it. The crime in the city does seem to be a real problem. Now, I've yeah. seen just from articles I've read online that uh, it's um, somebody described it as a war zone at night. Um, there's another yes. article I saw that said, uh, gripped by an out-of-control youth crime wave and terrifying escalation of alcohol-fueled violence, Alice Springs is facing an exodus of long-term residents. And the situation is so bad that even the town's mayor says he can't blame them. That Was yeah. was that life in Alice Springs? Um, um... It's always been fairly bad for the last decade or so. Uh, we've been having a steady increase in violence, but the last number of couple of years have been particularly bad. Um, for someone who's lived there virtually all his life, uh, even I was shocked. So when I left Alice Springs um, for three months, I returned, and I in that three months, I was just shocked at how bad things had gotten. 
So just to give you an idea, like even my local bakery, just a bakery, put up all these concrete pylons, steel bars everywhere because it's been like the fifth time they've been ram raided. A small bakery. <laughs> and um, yeah, even people have always said that they're going to leave Alice Springs because of the crime and issues. Um, but I've never actually seen people preparing to leave, selling up their homes and moving on, uh, which is quite shocking. It's, it's just the heart of the town's gone. There's no community anymore. And yeah. uh, it's not worth sticking around. Even, even you kind of get a lot more money in regards to income because of the remote nature of Alice Springs. But even that's not holding people now. So I think they had a decline of 10,000 people thereabouts. So you're talking about a third of the population within the last year. All right. So clearly when something happens, you are not going to go out with some kind of protection, whether it's a stick or a knife or whatever it is. Um, it sounds like you're not going to take your dog for a walk when, in, when it's dark. You're not going to venture outside. I'm sorry to be a bit too, too dramatic about it, but it, it sounds like something that I, I just can't, I had difficulty actually comprehending. Yeah, you used to be able to, and if you're going to take your dog for a walk, I hope it's a very mean dog. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, you'll be in trouble. Um, okay. What would happen? Yeah, I mean, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's not necessarily nighttime either. Like even during the day, broad daylight will happen. Um, I mean, my residence in Alice just got broken in the other day. And they just kicked in the door. Every single door in the house they kicked in. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I had a laugh because when I first saw the pictures of my my house broken into, they uh, I thought it was the police. Because <laughs> I was like, who kicks in a door? <laughs> but um, yeah, so you'll be out working hard and then come back and everything's smashed in. And, and it's not just stealing. There's like a strange malice to it as well. Because they'll just wreck the whole place. If you have paint, they'll throw paint all over the house. So, yeah, it's not just it's crime for crime's sake. It's not necessarily just cr crime to take th something of value. Uh, all right. Yeah. Okay, so you took your rifle, bay bayonet with you. Um, make yeah. sure you weren't victim number two. Um, now, bear in mind, you didn't use the rifle. You didn't. Um, it was really, really well. You attended to the victim it just i think was laid to one side up against the wall yeah um it's it just i just had it sitting there for literally the entire time okay. and i had right. a friend there so i wasn't very comfortable having i had a, my friend looking after the rifle watching over it didn't want him to handle it just have it sitting there uh while i perform first aid okay um, keeping an eye out for me Right. So, yeah. Okay, so you looked after the victim. The police arrived the f and ambos. The first police, I think there were two groups, initially let you go with the rifle and bayonet to yep. return you home. But there was a second group of police that didn't, and that's when the trouble started for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first one said to pack it away. You know they're on site now so it's no problem um 
and then while I was, I suppose it put me in a false sense of security because while I was traveling back to do exactly that, uh, I had a second lock rock up and decide to press charges. And it was, it was a very strange experience because they were, um, they're asking why I, I took the rifle out and I explained like, oh, my neighbor was attacked and, and they're trying to make out like what had happened to my neighbor had nothing to do with the decision I made <laughs> as in, I just wanted to go out for fun with my rifle or something. It's like, no, <laughs> it was there to protect me and my mate and my neighbor while I treated their injuries. And as you yeah. said, I, I know someone in the police force started spreading a rumor that I was on some sort of safari, which was ludicrous, but I don't know who did that. <sighs> Very professional lot. <laughs> as you said, um, he faced charges. He faced five charges, which is really mostly around possession of these items. Mm-hmm. Even though you were the hero, now we, when we were at the NSC, raised money to get you some legal help, which um, got also a good run, I think, in the NT News because they could yeah. see that you didn't mean anything bad here. You were just trying to do the right thing and stay alive. Um, so you got off on four of the charges. And if memory serves me right, you were found guilty but without conviction on the fifth charge being the possession of the bayonet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a, I think it was a weapon in public charge. Yeah. Okay. So the police weren't happy. They lost that round. Um, and yeah. But later on, they decided to go to your house. I mean, you weren't there. You actually were in Adelaide. Um, wanted to gain entry for some – actually, no, I think it was just – we thought it might have been to serve some paperwork, um, but uh, you we were... thought they were going to appeal the decision. Yeah, okay. uh, which is not the case. <laughs> which is what they should have done, but um, no. So after they milled around the outside of your house and actually got on the phone to you, and uh, I think we're not actually convinced that you're in Adelaide until perhaps sometime later, they. Um, basically went away, got a search warrant, which we think came about because of things they saw through the windows of your house, which yes. were some items probably from a chemistry kit because of your interest yes. in chemistry. Yeah. They executed the warrant. They yeah, were let in actually by somebody who had keys to your house and they seized a whole lot of items, which to cut a long story short, uh, really water, acetone, the chili oil, um, a few other bits and pieces, a couple of Nerf guns too. Uh, they actually got nothing, literally nothing, that led to anything else, no, to, you know, no other charges. Um, but they also started drilling your safe until yeah. they were stopped by Barrister John Patoli, who by the time we managed to raise him and he got on the phone to them. That's quite an afternoon. Yeah, I was... Uh, I was... Uh... Very confused and laughing hysterically. <laughs> I didn't understand what's happening. Yeah, so couldn't so believe that, that how far they took it. Yeah, yeah. So their argument at the time was around a the way that they interpreted the, the uh, Northern Territory Firearms Act uh, in relation to uh, your eligibility to hold a license, and it all revolved around the placement of a semicolon, um, which is yeah. Yeah, it's very technical, but that's basically what it was about. Probably bad. 
Yeah. So this, the police then, I think, suspended or revoked your license? Uh, yes. They revoked it. On that um, basis? Yeah, which kind of flew in the face of the court order we had at the time. Which was to return the items uh, to you? Yes. Let you go. My license and my firearms. Yeah. Yeah. So the matter went to the Northern Territory Firearm Appeals Tribunal. Now, yes. while you lost the matter on the same issue, you actually had the sympathy of the Northern Territory Chief Judge who heard the matter, Elizabeth Morris, who wrote sure. to the Northern Territory Police Minister calling for an urgent uh, action to, uh, in fact, I've got it here. I'll read the letter. Uh, so this is a letter that the judge wrote to Kate Warden, Police Minister, uh, back in December 2022. Uh, it starts off, I'll just read the third and the fourth paragraphs. The first one, sorry, the first one. This one is the Firearms Act 1997 Northern Territory contains automatic disqualification provisions for holding a shooter's license when someone is found guilty of an offence pursuant to that act or the Weapons Control Act. Uh, then she goes on. And actually, what she says here, uh, actually it's in the third paragraph, is that all three of these decisions, being other matters she referred to, highlight difficulties with interpretation of the section such that it is not clear what flows as a disqualification period from the penalty. And even if the law appears to be clear in a certain instance, it would create an incongruous and apparently disproportionate result for an alternative but lesser penalty. For example, someone who receives a bond without conviction faces a greater penalty of two years disqualification than someone who is convicted of an offence. And then what she says in the next paragraph is, I draw these decisions to your attention for urgent review of this particular piece of legislation. Now, I take you heard, heard nothing back in relation to that. Um... Yeah, look, uh, I think the anti-government and its representatives have clearly shown what calibre of people they are. So, no, they haven't done anything to fix it. Well, or at least I haven't heard anything. Uh, well, bear, bear in mind here, you've got a chief judge who drew the decisions for the minister's attention for urgent review, and mm -hmm. the minister actually having a look at um, some stuff I found online actually did post a while ago a story about how the Northern Territory government has taken urgent action to respond to community, to community concerns about uh, incidents of robberies and assaults involving knives. So she's quite capable of taking urgent action, but not when it comes to this. I'm not entirely convinced. It's most of the, <laughs> my experience is mostly theatre, but uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm a bit jaded. <laughs> well, and, and to be fair, I have heard through through another source that um, this matter actually is on a list, um, but it's no consolation, I think, to shooters that it's at this stage we've heard nothing back and it's not obvious to us um, if and when it will be fixed. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think they're... Look, I don't know. I don't know what's happening with the NT government right now. Uh, I don't see it happening i don't see them fixing it uh i think it's just more of an inconvenience for them uh which is why although i appreciate the uh the judge's sympathy it's uh, 
so decisions that make more of an impact on me <laughs> but um i kind of felt um kind of thrown under the bus on that one because what they're basically saying is this issue will apply to me but they'll fix it and it'll be okay for other people well it's 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 a bit late for me i guess yeah um, in fact the timing is interesting because at the time you were facing a two-year disqualification and i think we're uh, that'll be up early next year the decision <laughs> I think was in 2021, early 21, and so early. No, sorry, it must be early 22. So yeah, it's, the 20. It's, sorry, the uh, the second decision was in 22. 22 so years. Bit over, bit over a year, around a year to go. Uh, which, which sucks because firearm storage costs are expensive. <laughs> yeah, question whether it's two years from the tribunal case or two years from the, the uh, it's recent... from the tribunal case yeah, okay. uh, which which we knew was a bit of a risk um going to them for it uh but yeah i, I think everything that led up to that uh required us to take him to court it's uh yeah because we had a number of issues because the first thing is is the the police or anyone can't breach a court order regardless of whether they agree with it or not yeah. um, or whether even if it's in error so the idea is they're supposed to address that in court um, preferably when you have the appeal during the appeal time and that's what really bothered me and it's very important because you see you have about a month to appeal. I think it's 31 days. Uh, oh, sorry, 28 days. And I had made a decision, a legal decision, to accept a finding of guilt uh, on the promise that I get my license and my firearms back. So they have to, if they don't agree with that, then they should have appealed it. But they didn't. They waited till after the appeal and then went against the court order. And uh, that's an issue because now I'm stuck with this criminal record. Granted, it's a non-conviction. And then I don't didn't get anything I promised. So to make it very clear, if, if I had known that they were going to double back on the deal, I would have appealed the decision, right? It was only on the promise that I get to continue using my firearms that I accepted it. So for anyone else that's in a similar experience, uh, if you are certain you're innocent, definitely don't accept it um, because they, they can potentially double back. It's one of the things that bothered me about the tribunal is they basically reinterpreted the court order. So they were saying that um, it wasn't about returning your license. It was about returning your license as a physical item, which at least to me, is logically inconsistent. Like, if you're going to give back someone's license, like, why would it be just the physical media? It doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, I suppose that was enough obscurity to to justify it, to allow the police to do what they did. Yeah. So following this, we you rolled the dice again, and this time you actually 
uh, went in, you put your own, I guess, some of your own money in, quite a bit of your own money in, to go to the Supreme Court, you know, last-ditch effort really to, to try to overturn this. But I think that pretty much landed in the same in the same space, did it not? Um, so they set up in the Supreme Court in Darwin. Um, one of the <laughs> things we had was there was a Supreme Court decision in the past and uh, that had basically fixed that issue you were mentioning earlier where someone who's been convicted of a crime uh, is going to have a less harsh punishment than someone who wasn't convicted. Um, and previously, the Supreme Court had ruled on it and had said that no, a non-conviction will not lead to an automatic disqualification, and a conviction will. And we felt that the previous judge went against that decision. So uh, we took it to the Supreme Court. And it's all because of the semicolon. All, all over. Yeah, so they so they changed. They, um, what they did in the law is they changed the a comma into a semicolon. Yeah. And they believe that um, this had sufficiently changed the law to make it so no previous rulings count. Um, the issue with that is in, in the... They have like a transcription saying the reason for changing the law. And very clearly states that it's not to change the law; it's to change the uh, the format and how they write the law. So the okay. law itself hasn't changed; it's just keeping up with the modern way they write things down. That had so, the impact, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> had a significant impact on me. Um, I think I think it's fair to say that. You know, it's very disappointing to hear that. And a lot of people backed you, and I think uh, for good reason, because there was a point to be made here. As I said, we had the media on, on side, uh, got the judge on side, um, but not yet the police minister. And as you said, it'd be too late anyway. Okay. We have um, Kezia Purick, the member for Goida, um, has raised the matter with the police minister. Uh, and we haven't got a response from her, and we've also written to the police minister about it as well. So, you know, if we get any more news on that, we'll obviously pass it on. Um, but, uh, yes, it's quite quite unfortunate um, that, yeah, that, uh, that it landed that way. Hmm. Very disappointing. But, uh, yeah. ah, this whole experience has been disappointing in many regards, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I was, uh, yeah. I was fairly confident that we were going to get a good response with the tribunal because of all the very questionable things that had led up to that, to the tribunal, uh, it didn't work out. And then the Supreme Court wasn't even interested. <laughs> they basically threw it out without looking. And then, um, yeah, so they demanded I pay for the anti-government's legal expenses. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting on that front as well. Um, just to give you an idea how nasty these people can be. Um, they've come to realize that they can't really enforce, force me to pay for the government's legal expenses because now I'm interstate. It's, it would be difficult for them to enforce it. 
So what they did is they invoked a law that would lead to the disbarment of my lawyer <laughs> to to get me to cooperate. So uh, wow. just to just to show you how nasty these people can be, um, uh, I feel. I feel <laughs> Extraordinary. Not allowed to disparage the NT government, but okay. uh, it seems to be through and through to the core. Yeah, as you said, and I think we fly, we mentioned before you you are in, in South Australia in Adelaide uh, pursuing something you actually were going to pursue anyway, um, which, you, yeah. which is great to hear. Are you, um, yeah. So hopefully, when your suspension period is up, um, you'll be able to get back into into shooting. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, that's that's if I can. <laughs> I've because uh, it's it's the storage fees alone are costing me thousands of dollars. So at this like I'm at this point where it's like, man, the storage fees are costing more than my actual rifles. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's such a mess. But, uh, oh well, it's better than having the cops hold on to it, I suppose. <laughs> okay, look, Ron. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we'll no doubt stay in touch about this, um, but I think for now that's all we've got for that episode and we'll, we'll let you know if we hear more about this from the NT Police Minister. All right. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you, all your viewers. Thank you. Right. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast and that you're on our email list. And don't forget to check the notes of this episode because that's where you find out how to support the show and become a member to back what we do. Plus, let us know if you want something promoted on the podcast. Maybe you've got a shoot coming up or you're after more members for your association or club. Just let us know. We'll see you in our next episode of Politics Reloaded Podcast. Mm-hmm.